0: I felt like I just knew more about what was going on inside of me than anyone. My name is Adrienne Dominic and I live in Durham, North Carolina. I've lived with endometriosis pretty much my entire life, but have been aware of it since I was nine, but I had no word for it because I was undiagnosed until I was 30 years old. So it is an inflammation disease. It is also when your endometrial lining is growing outside of the uterus. And so in some cases, this can mean attaching to um, your ovary fallopian tube, the surrounding parts around you and around your uterus. But it has also been known to spread as far as to your lungs your heart, and even your eyes, that is more rare, but it does happen. And so it grows like a vine. I mean, it can be burned off, it can be removed, but it will grow back. There is no cure for it.
1: By physically looking inside your body. Takes us back to 1996,
0: where her begins. In the beginning, I got my period when I was in elementary school, <laughs> and I didn't know what it was. I finally, like, got the courage to tell my mom, and she was in disbelief because, you know, I was so young. I was in. A lot of pain that I can remember from fifth grade all throughout school. And every month when I got my period, it just seemed like I was just sick. I'm old and grew up in the '90s, and I had <laughs> my favorite Jinkos on in sixth grade. I remember putting on this big pad, going to class, and by the end of that class, I stood up and there was blood in my seat. Adrian
1: continued to deal with heavy periods and pain throughout middle school. Her dad.
0: When I was 14, I was having a new problem. Before I would get my period, I noticed I was bleeding from my rectum every mm-hmm. month. My mom took me to my first gynecologist appointment because I was like, I swear this happens when I'm getting my period. So it's related. And She took me to hers and she went in with me. I was so scared. And he did a rectal exam and (laughs) that was traumatizing. He told me, oh, everything is normal. And my daughter has the same issue. It's not a big deal. Um, You can just take birth control and it'll pretty much solve that issue. You won't bleed like that Mm -hmm. anymore. And if you do come back, well, it did stop that bleeding
1: Had the of her
0: own I didn't have health insurance from the time mm-hmm. I was 18 until like my late twenties, um, mid to late twenties. And so I went to the health department or I would pay out of pocket. So I started accumulating a ridiculous amount of debt from a ver- from eighteen on. At twenty, I knew that there was something very wrong with me. There were things that were changing in my body that, that scared me. And so changes were just that my period seemed to just be worse. And I would Uh be in bed like way more than I ever had been. I felt way more fatigued. I didn't have any energy and I was so young. It just didn't make sense. And my adult girlfriends were like, Um, you know, that's not normal. But they didn't really say it in such a supportive way. They were just like, Oh, um, you can't cancel plans just because you get your period. Everyone gets a period. And so I heard this constantly from people saying, like, just get over it, just smoke some weed, you'll be fine. So I was paying out of pocket to see all these doctors, right. And So, um, a doctor told me that I was having thyroid issues and I'm like, okay, well, at least there's an answer. That's the reason that I'm having all these problems. So I had a hyper thyroid and I had a cyst that grew on my thyroid. So I had a thyroidectomy and my doctor was like, okay, so we're going to prescribe you Lortabs for all this pain that you're having. Which now I know from the gene site testing that lore tabs like I like they never seem to work and now I like scientifically know why. <laughs> That's just one of those drugs that my metabolism eats up and I don't feel any effects from it. Nothing was mentioned about endometriosis, but I'm like, okay, this will take care of it. So some time passes and um, at about age 24, so like three-ish years have passed, I was Mm -hmm. having like really severe symptoms again. So I paid out of pocket not to go to the health department because my local health department wasn't like really great care. I wasn't like even feeling like <laughs> a good person when I left like they just like weren't nice and so I would um, I just went to this better one and they even went as far as to do a blood test because I was like something is like, so wrong with me maybe I'm pregnant and I remember thinking like that I had maybe gotten pregnant once and the baby perhaps like is still like like it died and was in my stomach that was the image I had in my mind of what was going on in my stomach and so um they were just like oh well good news there's nothing wrong with you (laughs)
1: unfortunately she heard this over and over again we can't figure out what's wrong with you so you must be fine
0: by age like 29 I'm thinking maybe I have Crohn's disease because I, my body doesn't seem to like, like I was just self-diagnosing, you know, that's Mm -hmm. all I felt like I could do. And it gave me a little bit of control and I was just searching for an answer. I knew it wasn't normal. And I like hated the fact that no one was paying attention to my body. I felt like I just knew more about what was going on inside of me than anyone. I was trying a raw diet and I'm vegan, so I was just trying all raw vegetables and fruits, seeds and nuts, and all that stuff. And I was feeling so good. And then, all of a sudden, one of these seizure pains that I was describing that I'd had like just at random times throughout my life, and it happened when my husband was at home. He'd already seen this happen once before and he was worried. And so he was encouraging me go to the doctor or go to the hospital. And I was just like, no, like I, in my mind, I was like, okay, we, at the time he had insurance and I didn't. And I felt like that was all I could think about. And I really regret that. But I just was like, no, I'm not going to owe the hospital all this money. I'm just not going, I'll be fine. And I've always had this mentality. Like I will just be fine. Like it's mind over matter. I mean, that's what carried me through all these, all this pain I've had all my life. Like it's been my mind just dealing with it. And so I'm going through it. He went to the store to get something for me because I concluded I'm staying home, I'm just going to be fine. And then while he was gone, I, I remember I was walking and I fell and I, I I just was crippled with pain. I just fell to the ground, couldn't walk. And I was screaming and I was like, okay, this is, this is it. I'm going. And so he got home. We went to Duke hospital. That's really when my life changed. So I got there and doctors were running all types of tests I'd never had in my life, like they were testing every possibility out there to figure out what was wrong. I was like not able to walk or anything. And so I came in in a wheelchair and I don't really remember a lot of it because I was like sweating profusely, but I was like in chills. It was like such a, it was almost like this like home state after the seizures where I was just like in my body but like not really so I didn't I think Josh spoke for me I believe and they took it very seriously and saw me very fast I just like signed a couple papers and they saw me and I told them that I thought that it had to do with gastrointestinal problems I was like Mm -hmm. I know that's what this is and they're like how long has this been going on and they had more than one doctor come in they showed empathy, which made me feel safe enough to, like, I, it just meant the world to me that they cared. And, like, genuinely, I could feel that they cared. I'd never had that before, unfortunately. Of all my experiences with doctors, I never felt like anyone cared. And so then they called, They they were kind of secret. Like, they didn't want to tell me anything yet. But I knew that they knew something. They were like, we are going to have to operate there. They told me that I had a cyst that was the size of a large grapefruit. And that's something that they were able to see through CAT scans and um an ultrasound. So it just seems so serious, you know, like they had to do this immediately, called in mm-hmm. this guy that was not, there's no surgeon around for that. And he was just funny, he made cracks and jokes, and I feel like it's important to share that because it just made me, like, I like I laughed, I felt like, I'm in good hands, this guy is happy to be here, I'm not inconveniencing him, like, this is going to be okay. All I knew was they're going to remove the cyst. The cyst was directly
1: attached to the left ovary, so they put Adrian under for emergency surgery, but there were complications. After she up, the listen, Josh gave the name.
0: I woke up from surgery, and I had had my left fallopian tube and left ovary removed along with the cyst because that needed to happen. Um, I later read the surgery notes, and what they said were that he went in for the cyst, and the cyst actually burst while he went in to remove it. And so they made three incisions. They did um, the laparoscopic surgery as well as make two incisions with laparoscopic they go in through your belly button and then he went in from the side and then below my belly button and so I still have a have some scars and one is definitely worse than the others so he said that the cyst first and it was like I mean this is a little graphic but he said it was it looked like chocolate like this is in the notes he described it like that like a chocolate like substance they had to get they had a suction all of it out and then my left ovary and fallopian tube were just dead because the cyst had really taken over my body and it was bigger than all my organs and it was crushing them and so like hearing all this I was like that's that was this Thing that I always felt like was a baby inside of me. Like I knew something was in there. Like it just felt like my space was being invaded. So he said that the right side was doing more for my heart to benefit my heart. So he wanted to leave it, even though it's not like very healthy. He said that in this day and age, like doctors don't really their first go to isn't a full on hysterectomy with a young woman it's just not best practice there's a lot of health problems that can occur after the surgery and so like for one like you'll have to go through menopause for a much longer amount of time in your life and so he was like we're just gonna leave that for now and then I came back for a follow-up he's like okay all's good you know and I went on with my life and I very soon after that felt like I had the exact same pain, well, not as bad, but pretty bad. Like a, another cyst head burst basically is what it felt mm-hmm. like. So I went back to the hospital very soon afterwards because it was like an emergency situation. And at that point I know it was winter time and like I had, I couldn't wear any clothes. I was in, it was so hot to me. So like my, husband dressed me because I couldn't move. And we go to the hospital. And the person that like does your ultrasound, she wasn't telling me anything. And I was like, Well, I know you're not supposed to read it to me. But do you see anything going on in there? And she had tears in her eyes. And she was like, later, she like cried a little bit with me. And she said, I see why you're in pain. And she's like, I can't tell you, but I see why you're in pain. And she just, like, held me for a little bit. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, what is this? And so at that point, it wasn't anything other than I had another cyst. And it was on my right side. And it was big enough that I'm like, well, that probably was there during my last surgery. It's still there. (laughs) I was, like, pissed off. (laughs) That is when my life changed in the sense that... For about two years, almost like I had doctor's appointments up to this day, really. I ha- I just live by having so many doctors' appointments, but there was this time frame where it was like multiple times a week, and it was my whole life. <laughs> I had no time for anything else, hardly. <sighs> Apparently, that cyst was there, but it wasn't that big. It just got a lot bigger. Um, the treatment, The daily treatment that I had been on was a hormone that um, it was Sprintec. And I think there's different types of it. So it's a birth control, but this specific one is what is prescribed usually for women going through menopause. So, um, ideally I, I could have taken that, I believe, but I shouldn't have taken the ones at the end. And he, no one ever told me that they were like, so I was continuing to have a period when really I shouldn't, I don't need to have one. (laughs) Um, so currently I don't have one and it is working out for me. So it's, it's a lot better situation. But, um, at that time, back when I had that other cyst, They were like, okay, well, it it, it has been growing. So if it doesn't burst, then you're going to have to have a surgery to have this removed. And um, because it's grown so much and I had been taking Sprintec from the surgery up until that point. So I was on this hormone treatment. And in this case, I mean, I have to give it a compliment because it really did help. Because the day before my follow-up in which they were going to give me surgery, that cyst burst. I want to credit that, you know, hormone treatment for that because, I mean, my other cyst never burst. It just kept growing. You know, a lot of women get cysts, but they're, they usually remain so small that it's not a big deal. But when they get oversized is when there's a lot of pain. And so it was awful when it burst, but I was so happy because I'm like, I I didn't want another surgery. They were talking about like having a full on hysterectomy because a different doctor said that that might be the best course of action because it's the only option. That's right. At 30 years old, Adrian was faced with the very real possibility of a
1: total
0: hysterectomy. Also, at that point, um, I had a doctor tell me that I was infertile, which I already suspected, but it was something that um, no one ever just came out and said to me. That was a lot to process. I did stay overnight and then they released me when I didn't feel like it was okay for me to go home, but they insisted I would be fine. So I got home and I wasn't able to stand up or sit down on my own. And so like, My husband took a whole week off of work to take care of me. And had he not done that, I don't know what I would have done. I live in, like, I don't have family where I live. At the time, I didn't even really have friends. So I guess I would have just had to stay in the hospital longer. I needed assistance, like going to the bathroom. Like, this is right after I got married, too. So it was Like after that, I just knew I'm like, wow, I really married the right person, like (laughs) sickness and health. This is like all happening so fast. And he was just such a great caregiver and um, didn't make a big deal out of it. Didn't make me feel gross or anything. You know, it's very embarrassing to pee in front of somebody. Or at least it was for me and not being able to like pull my pants down or anything. I've never had to be taken care of like that, ever. Finally,
1: with a diagnosis in hand and no immediate crisis learning, Adrian could start to move forward with healing from the process. In addition to being on a hormone treatment that worked for her, she started seeing a physical therapist
0: that she really related to. I started like meeting more people who do work for Duke who are more open-minded to other uh, ways of thinking about medicine. So that was, um, it was really nice to work with somebody. I mean, I felt like I had to trust her. I could not ever go back if I didn't trust this person. (laughs) I was diagnosed also with pelvic floor dysfunction, which a lot of people with endometriosis have. And there's two types of pelvic floor dysfunction. So like your pelvic floor is like basically a hammock that holds together our organs So men and women both can have pelvic floor dysfunction. And so it can either be the tightening of the pelvic floor, like it's just too tight or it's too loose. So there's two different courses of treatment with that. I do want to recommend a book that she had worked through with me and I still have it and look at it sometimes. It's called Heal Pelvic Pain. It's by Amy Stein. I feel like it could really, is a good read for anybody. And it talks about how your, like the history of pelvic floor dysfunction and about how this area of your body is your chi, you know, your root chakra and it's your core. And that is where all of your life like flows from. And so it can be like all built up, all that energy is just all built up, or it's just not really contained. And also, it's interesting, I learned that this is where Kundalini yoga originates from. So we started doing biofeedback treatment, and I had done that before studying psychology in college, only the biofeedback was just attached to my finger. (laughs) So the type that I worked with is. Essentially it's a device that will attach somewhere on your body and it is connected to a computer. You can see your like waves on the computer. These waves are a visual representation of your body's stress response. The sensor might pick up your heart rate, breathing, muscle activity, or blood pressure. So it's something that like you know is a phallic symbol basically like and you put it inside of you and it doesn't hurt really it's like she makes it easy and then it is so weird because you look like you're connected through your vagina to like an iphone or something this white cord coming out of you attached to a computer but the benefit in this is so she was like able to see if i was tightening or loosening on her screen and so she practiced with me like deep breathing and you can see the waves change and me get calm from this and this is how like it's been proven that like meditation is beneficial Um, she did deep breathing exercises did a little bit of meditation and then we like I had to move certain ways and I found that like okay I'm more relaxed when I'm laying down, but it took a lot of training <laughs> for me to get to that, point. Mm-hmm. And that. and that book really helps. So um, highly recommend it to anybody that has problems with that. And then, like when I would stand, it would get extremely tight again, and it would just like in a bad way. And so you can imagine if you hold your hands and like make a a fist as hard as you can, your hand's gonna start hurting. And like, imagine like your pelvic floor doing that. Like that's, so I was like blocking like all this energy in me. And so, um, I mean, personally, I I'm like a person who is really into energy work. I mean, it just makes sense to me. And so I definitely like to look into other ways of um, healing other than just like, you know, a brief visit with your doctor. It it's like, really healing is something that you have to work on every day. Healing's not linear. You can get to a point where you're fine. And then like a year later, you're in pain again and not doing so well. Another thing she helped me with is retraining my bladder. So with pelvic floor dysfunction and endometriosis, like I said, a lot of people with endometriosis have it it's so it's like I I could be wrong but I want to say it's like 75% do so yeah she taught me how to retrain my bladder because I was like going to the bathroom way more than the average person like and I'd done this for most of my life and so it took a while but like one of the big things that helped me is that I drank too much liquids in the day and I just never thought that would be a bad thing so you take half of your body weight like the number mm-hmm. like if you're 100 pounds then you shouldn't drink more than 50 ounces of liquid in a day one thing that I know isn't affordable for everybody is massage once a month so I say that because Everyone maybe would know someone who could maybe trade a massage for a ma- massage, you know, like maybe get mm-hmm. a friend. But it's so important to have that like force of blood flow through your body, and for people with endometriosis, it's it's or anybody with any disability or um, chronic pain, it's really helpful. And it kind of hurts for a while, but then you see the benefits from it after continuing to do it. So I've been doing that for. I guess, close to two years now, once a month. And it's it's really helped. And then also, I do yoga a lot. There's lots of types of yoga, but one type is loosening yoga. So since I carry stress in my pelvic area, I do stretches that are very loosening and relaxing. My physical therapist said that my body is just not designed for extensive workouts, like, um, intense workouts. That was a challenge for me because I grew up as an athlete and I have always like pushed myself to the limit, even if it wasn't consistently, cause I was never always able to, it's just a way I was able to like express my anger, I guess, is just by overdoing it with my body mm-hmm. and the gym. And a lot of people do that. And so, it's actually more harmful for my pelvic area to do that. So I've learned the. I mean, it's been a long process, but I just tend to stick to walking. And sometimes with hiking, I get really, like I I know when I'm overdoing it and I can feel that. So I just kind of like check in with myself. And so I do that and I have this exercise ball and a tip for those if you get one i got mine at target so they make them in different sizes i always thought you just like get whatever one but they say on the box the inches that the ball is and in the book that i recommended um they tell you like by your uh height what size you should get and it matters Hmm. because one could really injure you actually like one could hurt your back because it's too big for a small frame. So I got the right size and um, I do the things that I learned in physical therapy like weekly, not just once a week. I can't say daily anymore because life gets busy, but I do I do it at least like two or three times a week. And just
1: healing her muscles physically, Adrienne also started chemotherapy therapy for her endo. The chemo inhibits production in the body, which is the same reason she's. To-
0: it doesn't come side effects. Right now the hormone treatment that I do is um it's Lupron Depot. So Lupron Depot is a chemotherapy treatment and it's not like I mean there's so many different chemotherapy treatments out there. This is one that is um administered by a really big needle and you can get it once a month or once every 3 months and um, it really suppresses your hormones, and it's used on cancer patients who have prostate cancer, I want to say, and maybe breast cancer. It's also helpful they found an endometriosis. Mm -hmm. At first, when I started taking it, it was, I mean, it hit me hard, and I've only been in the first three-month cycle. I have not done it after like I I do plan on continuing to do it but I am new to this so the first day if um, anyone else ever does this like I would just recommend not to be alone I thought I could do this alone but it was it was very hard and it took about two hours to really kick in and it, it had me in bed and I eventually went to sleep and it made it so like I couldn't walk or anything like it was injected in my hip. And it was so painful. Like, I don't know if it was because of the big needle or what but like, I couldn't walk for a long time that day. And it, it, it's not an easy treatment. But I think for me, it's just worth it is worth trying and just seeing if it works for you if your doctor recommends it. I think it's only recommended for like, maybe stage three or four of endometriosis and mine is a stage four. So it's not, I mean, the stage doesn't even really mean what your pain level will be. You can have stage one and have more pain than a person at stage four. Endometriosis really needs more research because it's, it's so mysterious and we don't really know enough about it. So in sharing my story with, like, friends and coworkers and acquaintances, I've met, like, two other older ladies who have cried with me. And, like, that's so important. I feel like as like just to have support has been the thing that has helped me hold on and look at these women who are so much older, never, you know, were able to have a child, have adopted and have such a happy life now like in that arena anyway you know it can get really depressing and it can I mean for me I have gone through phases where I just feel like a monster it's not just like a physical experience that I've had with endometriosis it's been so emotionally draining and isolating and depressing Mm -hmm. and so I feel like that's important to talk about too and um I had an aunt, though, who was never able to have kids because she had a hysterectomy when she was in her 20s. And she most certainly, it sounds like, had endometriosis. It wasn't diagnosed, though. But when we've talked about things, it's like we had such a similar experience. And I'll never forget her always telling me, yeah, I had such bad periods, too. She was just like, I'm so glad you're in this day and age talking about it and having support has like changed my life a lot and helped me just like cope. I wish that when I was in fifth grade and we had the boys divided by the girls and they talked to the boys about sex and they talked to the girls, not about sex, but about our periods. um, I wish that they had mentioned endometriosis then. I also wish that I Just knew what it was because if I had known what it was I could have figured out pretty quickly that I probably have it and honestly when I read about it now I'm like I would have always known that I had it just by seeing what it was and I never knew anything about it there's just now finally um, I've heard commercials on tv about it and I hope that it really spreads and that's really the biggest thing. I wish I just knew what it was like growing up, like knowing something's wrong with you. Like, I mean, it takes a toll because people like when you talk about it with others, their go-to reaction is like, "Mm, okay, you're, I was treated like I was just, uh, it was all in my mind or I was making it up. And that just, put my mind in such a dark place and it made me not know what's real and what's not because I'm like well I know that something's wrong but there's no answer out there and there's nobody like even with my aunt supporting me it was more of just like you know she was there for me but there were no answers I I would say that it's not normal to have a painful period It's not normal to have to go home from school every month because you can't sit in the desk and you can't walk. I'll just say it's not normal and be your own advocate and never give up because um, we know our bodies best. And I think that is a strength. And I think that I just just wish that I uh, was more comfortable with my body. And so I would encourage young people to find that support system. And if you can't find it, then start it. We have the internet now and there are support systems and there are so many older people who will care to hear your story and who can help you. So I would say like, don't be afraid, just reach out and be brave.